This is James Fox, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Now, a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Day to day, life comes at you fast, and like anyone, I can get stuck focusing on problems rather than looking for solutions. Whether that's in my professional 9 to 5, on the podcast, or even just as a parent. It can be tough to train your brain to think differently, but it is possible. There is no better time to start making a change than today, and when you finally learn to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish those goals you've been struggling to. For many, using better help has allowed them to unload stress, heal emotional scars, or even help with anxiety and depression. For me, the flexibility of being able to access online help through messaging on the app or even voice or video calls is a win, not to mention it's convenient and affordable. All you need to do is fill in a very brief survey and BetterHelp will match you with a therapist that suits your needs. You can of course swap your therapist at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com forward slash that UFO. The pilot that I had mentioned earlier, the private pilot, who on approach called the uh, air traffic control to report this V of six lights right in front of them. Yeah, Cut Russell. I realized after I watched some of his interviews, and one of them, UK interview, which is a fabulous interview, is on our website, the news page. And I think it's on the homepage as well. If people want to take a look at it, terrific. Uh, and, and it talks about a lot more, which we'll get to, um, of, of what happened to him himself, but uh, which also happened to other witnesses. But the fact that he came forward um, it's such a big plus. I mean, the more credible people that come forward, uh, the more credibility is lent to the sighting itself. Now, the story continues to evolve. In fact, um, my book is in its fourth print because I, I squeezed ultimately after seven years of keeping an intricate journal, 750 pages later of such credible data that what do you do with that? I mean, here I, I was not only a scientist trying to be meticulous with the data, but as a physician to let people know, even though most anomalies can be explained, only a small percentage cannot. But just because we don't have the technology yet to definitively define what these things are, it doesn't mean they're not real. We may just be looking on the AM dial for an FM frequency. So as a physician, I needed to let people know that they're not alone. They're not alone, even if it can be explained. When people have a paranormal experience, it's real to them. And if they don't share it, and I always welcome people to uh, message me on Facebook. We have the Phoenix Lights Network page on Facebook or through the um, uh, website right at the top of the homepage. There's a link where they can just go right to, to me and share. Because sharing with one person, just one person, is cathartic. It's healing. And certainly as a physician and as an experiencer myself, I know what that feels like. And as an educator, Andy, what do you do with it? I had a 750-page journal plus pictures that I have gone to extreme lengths, 35 millimeter in the negative, extreme length to have explained to me at university and military level. And no one, no one can tell me what I photographed, only what I didn't photograph. They are true unknowns. 
And in good conscience, after lots of soul searching, because I did not want to come forward, I actually went back to work as chief clinical consultant, you mentioned at the top, of the Wellness and Imaging Center at the Arizona Heart Institute. Nobody knew what I was doing. I took that 750-page journal in a little cubby office that I had, and in between patients, I was squeezing it down to the best, most credible data that, that I had found. And ultimately, to 230 pages, um, I just couldn't stick it in a drawer. And I thought, you know what? Not only the data to set the record straight about the Phoenix Lights, but half the book is about how it affected people and real time and long term. And if I can get into that, do you have a question or anything you wanted to ask at this point? I was going to ask you to to ask you to talk about that approach and the, the human effect of it. Uh, oh, yes, you you were recently helped. with you were with Ryan Sprague recently on CW, and we'll get to that on Mysteries Decoded. But Ryan Sprague's got a very good book uh, from his Somewhere in the Skies podcast about the human approach and the effect on humans of the UFO subject. So, yeah, please talk about that. Well, first of all, we've ruled out flares. So anybody that hones in on the flare theory, like I said. Um, without looking at the data that they tried to reenact it with flares <laughs> and they failed. Um, there is no, there is no data that confirms that it was flares. Okay. We didn't even know if they sent off flares because we don't have one person that saw them. Okay. They may have sent off flares. So push that aside. How it affected people is so profound. That doesn't happen with planes and helicopters and flares, okay, in real time. Now, we're so inundated with threat, 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 and harm, harm, harm from um, the news media and Hollywood um, that Dr. Gary Schwartz, who's in the documentary, head of the Consciousness Study Department at the University of Arizona, makes a very poignant statement. He says, if you're inundated with data that to, to fear something. How do you think you're going to feel when you see that something, right? So in the movie Independence Day was very popular six months before the mass sighting. And children who were usually the first ones, including um, uh, Kurt Russell's son, was the first one to see the vid and alert him about it, were jumping up and down, Independence Day, Independence Day. But as it got close, a calmness came over everyone, adults and children alike, a connectedness to the phenomena that as it passed over, they wanted to chase after it or get in the car and, and, and just chase after it. And so in real time, it affected people at a very deep level. Like I said, not one person was threat, felt threatened or harmed or scared. It was the opposite. People were in awe. And, and wonder and, and just curious. Then you then in long term, people went into the environmental movement, into the peace movement. It changed people forever. What, whoever did this, and I don't know who did it. I just know that someone did it that really profoundly affected people at a very deep level in real time and long term. And we're quantifying that now with our study. So I, I welcome that people uh, will take a look at that. But it changed people's lives forever. Not only that, a number of people shared with me, a number of witnesses, Phoenix Lights witnesses, that they had had near-death experiences as children that was reawakened by the mass sighting. And that really hit me hard because I did too. 
And I let it all out there in the book. That's a whole nother hour. <laughs> but I figured it's important to share that data as well and started thinking, wait, could there be a connection between all unexplained phenomena, whether it's near-death experience, out-of-body experience, unexplained aerial phenomena that have a mystical light associated with the experience? And lo and behold, I started finding such credible data, just like I did with the UFO phenomena, at university level, the Omega Project, like this thick, from Dr. Kenneth Ring at University of Connecticut, Dr. John Mack at, at uh, Harvard University actually wanted to work with me because he was finding the same finding that people that have an unexplained phenomenon, not only is it very similar, whatever the unexplained phenomenon, I started calling them a UP and up because the after effect is so positive, the awakening, the enlightenment, the connectedness that one feels after a true up experience to the universe and to the earth and to each other that they probably never felt before, that changes people forever. And I, and it's so, I, I certainly I get into this in the book, but now we're finding from our survey that it's even more profound and riveting than we even thought. I can't wait to release that data. But nonetheless, it's really important to address that aspect. Push aside the flare thing, the, the technology itself we have not seen at all worldwide. And wouldn't you think that if we had this kind of technology that thousands of people described right over their heads, okay, that we would have shown our prowess to the rest of the world. The, 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 it's so precarious right now. Um, or if somebody else had it, they would have showed it. But nobody has. Okay. So the whole story of the Phoenix Lights is really, really profound. And there's so much more to the story. There's a number of paranormal uh, activities that happened after the mass sighting. Uh, certainly my own near-death experience and um, how it affected other people is so important. And the message, the most important message of the Phoenix Lights. And it's not only the Phoenix Lights. People are coming back from all up experiences, including near-death experiences with the same message. Whoever is out there in other dimensions, time travelers, interstellar, interdimensional, they are giving the same message to wake up to what you're doing to your to your earth, to your planet, and to yourselves before it's too late. And if that's not an important message to relay, and I do hope people take heed of that, Another really important ingredient in all this, if I can go back, if we have time, yeah. six months, another little coincidence, six months before the mass sighting, I was invited to present my substance abuse prevention education program at the Gila Bend, G-I-L-A, Gila Bend Indian Reservation that happens to be in the basin between South Mountain and the Estrella Mountain Range in there. Very sacred ground. And they don't talk to outsiders. But I helped them out, and I noticed, again, data speaks for itself, that from my pictures, these phenomena seem to pop up in the same location. And if you look at that first picture on the photo page, you'll see a car with lights that reflect onto the road, very unlike the true unknowns that are self-contained. You'll also see house lights, a stream of house lights to the right of that car, which if you look directly up, you'll see where South Mountain and the Estrellas 
intersect. It was a perfect topography because you'll see at night that these phenomena keep popping up in that area. So I called up the principal and I said, did anybody see strange lights on March 13th? And he started to giggle. And I said, is that funny? And he said, are you kidding? We've been looking up at them for centuries. We call them sky people, light beings. I had no idea that native cultures worldwide, indigenous cultures worldwide are much more open to these intelligences, not only being out there, but visiting us. And what he described, first of all, he said these orbs, many indigenous cultures in the Hopi right here in Arizona have protocols to invite these intelligences in. They're very welcomed and they're not scared of them. They, they, they invite them in and feel that many of these orbs are spirit world or ancestors coming to give them guidance and comfort and knowledge and inspiration. And I have to admit, uh, Andy, I would have never chosen this topic, so I've certainly been inspired. And as you can tell, I'm a little passionate about it. I apologize, but um, I, I can't help it. It's exciting, and especially to learn that that's how the astray has got its name. It means star in Spanish, gateway to the stars. And they believe in that area that there is a gateway or portal in that area. And again, if you just look at my photo data over and over again, these phenomena keep popping up in the same location. So that was another little coincidence. Just six months before the mass sighting, I had that experience, was able to, to learn about that aspect, that native cultures are so much more open to these other intelligences than we've been, and, and how important it is to acknowledge our planet and appreciate what we have on this earth. It's been a tough few years for many of us, juggling a lot that life has thrown our way. As someone with a young family, finances have never been more important, especially with the soaring cost of living day to day. That's where Credit.com can help. There is a way you can begin to take back some control of your financial situation. Extra Credit is a product from Credit.com that gives you unmatched credit coverage. You might have checked your credit score on a free app then when trying to make a purchase on credit, like a car, found it wasn't quite what you you expected. Extra credit from credit.com gives you access to all 28 FICO scores to see exactly what lenders will see. Extra credit not only gives you access to those 28 FICO scores, but also helps guard your identity with $1 million ID insurance, dark web scans, and data breach alerts. Plus, you can get cash rewards for selecting personalised offers. As someone who, as a student, racked up a lot of debt, I can relate to having to rebuild my credit score as an adult. There's no better time to do this now. The past can't be changed, but you can begin to rebuild your future today. To sign up for extra credit, go to credit.com forward slash that UFO and get started there. To sweeten the deal, you can even get the first seven days absolutely free. It's just $24.99 plus tax a month after the free trial. You can cancel any time. So go check out extra credit today and start working on your credit goals. One of the frustrations of this event for me, Dr. Lynn, and it's, it is one of my favourites, and I've said that many times on the podcast, is it came at a time where technology was advancing. Like you mentioned, people were starting to have mobile phones, but they certainly weren't the devices that we have now. Any cameras were, were still quite big, handy cams. We didn't have little, little small ones yet. They were still pretty large in the mid-90s. There was no social media. There was no Facebook. Uh, I don't even think we've got text messaging just yet in 97. That's probably still a year off. Um, even then, it was a couple of years before it was widespread. Now, Actually, just to interject real quick, the Phoenix Lights was the first 
mass sighting that was talked about in chat rooms. Right, the very okay. First one. So you've got AOL probably for many people was the, the internet service people may have had or, or whatever else CompuServe was around. And it happened at a time where it probably just missed being even bigger than it was. Like you say, it took three months before it became world news, whereas now that would be news within minutes. Do you think that's just pure, you say you don't now believe in coincidences, but we were just away from this being a much, much bigger worldwide event that it still seemed pretty concentrated for just that locale and the the tens of thousands of people who saw it over Tucson, uh, over Phoenix, Arizona, sorry. How, how do you feel that plays into it? Was it deliberate? Was that a synchronicity? Was it a coincidence? Whoever did this, first of all, wanted to be seen, obviously. Okay. And we also have documentation from Mexico in 1991 when there was an eclipse and thousands of people were outside looking up at the sky, and UFOs started showing up all over the place. So whoever did this wanted to be seen, first of all, in a non-threatening, gentle way. Also the timing, and I think about that sometimes, it's a great question, because we didn't have cameras. Now it would be a lot different if it happened. But also, we didn't have the Photoshop. We didn't have the hoaxes that we have now. We didn't have drones that we have now. I mean, there's so much more out there, satellites that could be mistaken for UAP. This could not be mistaken. This was a deliberate sighting or parade, okay, where whoever did this, and again, I go back to how it affected people at such a deep level, one person at a time, okay? It was like they said, forget about the military and government, we're doing this and making people aware because it was so denied for so long. And you can only imagine if there are benevolent people out there, and I can only talk about the Phoenix Lights. I don't know what else is out there and their agendas. But with the Phoenix Lights, I can discuss it intelligently and with the data that um, somebody wanted to make us aware of their existence and wanted us to wake up, wake up to not only the fact that we're not alone in this universe, but that we are spiritual beings. I can't tell you how many people have awakened, and that's the up experience, to how important it is to wake up to how we can make this world a better world and wake up to what we're doing before we do destroy this planet and ourselves. It still seems, and, and one of the most common arguments is that they could do it on a bigger scale and deliver that message to the world now. If, if that happened now, and again, it's that old, uh, people hate this White House lawn landing, but you know, if they appeared over Paris or London or Johannesburg or whatever, and, and came out and said, look, you're destroying the planet, nuclear weapons are not the way to go, the wars, the famine, the genocide is all wrong, that, that would answer the question. It still seems that they're delivering a message to small pockets, to individuals, to small groups. And do you know what? The message is still getting out. I, I've talked about the aerial school phenomenon because that incident happened 30 years ago nearly, yet only now is the documentary being made and the message getting out. So is it a case of, much like the Phoenix Lights, the, the real message isn't yet being told and it's only now 25 years, 30 years later that these are becoming more and more relevant? 
Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Um, there's something about the Phoenix Lights, and that's why we're studying it so scientifically now, that really wakes people up, whether they saw it or not. And they're, like you said, I mean, they're, it's happening worldwide, okay? People are now seeing similar phenomena and pointing and saying, well, there's the Phoenix Lights, which is kind of cool in and of itself. But um, people are waking up now, especially with the Internet. I mean, now... People are seeing things, and most can be explained. And again, we have the drones and the satellites and other things that can be mistaken for a UAP. But they start looking into it. People that really look at the data and study the data will realize there is a plethora of information for centuries. I knew nothing about this. That's why it was so important, finally, to come forward and just let the data out there and let people decide for themselves. Some people don't want to deal with this. If they have to feed into the flare theory to give them comfort, that's okay. That's okay. Everyone in their own time. But that's why I'm so grateful that you're letting me share this data with you because even till today, there's still ufologists, there's still programs that have their own agenda that are giving disinformation. It's very frustrating for us that, that know what's going on. And that's why I didn't want to write a new book. When they came to me to write a second book, when things were unfolding, I said, no, 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 no. The first book was 750 pages, the first journal that I squeezed down. That first book is really important. So people can really see what happened here. And it's really helped people actually transform to a good place in and of itself just reading the book. I didn't realize it. Plus, when I was at the Arizona Heart Institute and came forward, I didn't know how it was going to be delivered. Or, or taken by the community, especially my peers. I had more doctors and nurses pull me aside and tell me how grateful they were that someone of credence came forward to finally get this out in the open, talk about it, okay, and let people feel that they're not alone, okay, because they had experiences when they were children that they started telling me about. And, uh, you know, which is so rewarding to know that. Um, the, the book, The Phoenix Light, The Skeptic's Discovery That We Are Not Alone. And I recommend the ebook only because it has color pictures and live links. I'm an educator. Go off if you're interested in a certain topic and, you know, study that topic. Um, as well as I also have a, um, here's the documentary. This is the latest uh, edition of the documentary. Um, if you have Amazon Prime, especially in the UK, you can get it for free. I believe you can still get it for free. And it's on Tubi, T-U-B-I. Yep. It's for yep. free there as well. And it's streaming on Amazon. Um, here is the latest cover of the latest edition of the book, the fourth edition. And as an educator and working on a curriculum, which is very difficult to get into the schools, needless to say. Um, but I, I figured, you know what? Let me put together a graphic novel activities coloring book. It's called the Phoenix Lights, UFOs, and um, Crop Circles Coloring Book Adventures of Sue F.O. and Hugh, H-U-G-H, Hugh F.O., his little alien. I worked with Disney illustrators and teachers and students, fifth and sixth grade, and um, it is packed. I mean, we're talking 150 to 60 pages here of not only the story as it unfolds, we have... Um, the 10 different craft to scale, to color. Uh, we have 80 crop circles, and we talk about real ones. I always give the, you know both sides of the story. 
and also the fake ones and the difference. Uh, and we have 80 of the most intricate crop circles to color. We have word finders and crossword puzzles and from uh, simple to difficult for all ages. Because I wanted parents and grandparents to enjoy learning, not about only about the Phoenix Lights, but the topic. Um, and we have iconic pictures, including a picture of these UAP around the Capitol in Washington, D.C. in 1952, okay? Um, that's why I think they've shown themselves as they can through the years. And, you know, people ask me, oh, what do you think? You know, if they wanted to get rid of us, <laughs> they could have a long time ago. Obviously, they're, they're that advanced. But be that as it may, they've tried through the years to show themselves. And ultimately, with the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, they said, this is it. We're doing a biggie here. <laughs> and, um, and again, how people were affected. People aren't affected at a deep soul level by planes or helicopters or balloons or holograms or flares. So, um, you know, what, whoever did this, um, who's ever behind it, I hope that I find out in my lifetime. I would love to find out. Um, but the fact is that, as you alluded to, Andy, just getting the information out like we are today, and hopefully people will look further and look on the website, it's packed with information on the home page and the photo page and the gap page there's a, illustrations and animations of uh, actually what the governor saw um, as well as the news page um, there's so much in there to explore and consider so I hope your audience will do that as well and uh, you know it starts out with an open mind and an open heart all of those links are available in the description to the podcast so people can click on those down below whether it's youtube or on your podcast apps and, and you can check all that out and like you say the website is packed with a lot of free stuff as well bringing it up to modern day you're still capturing this data you're still researching you're still seeing these these lights you recently appeared on mysteries decoded and that was with Shannon Legros and I mentioned Ryan Sprague earlier, friend of the podcast who's just relocated to Scotland as well. And you you shared a video with them, didn't you, of similarly placed lights from 2019. Do you want to talk about that experience and what happened? I haven't had them analyzed, so I can't definitively say that they're the Phoenix lights. In fact, they were a little over than where they're usually seen, so... I'm not sure. I can't say definitively, and I like to be definitive. Um, but nonetheless, similar lights have been showing up um, even weeks ago. Uh, I also had a sighting. And uh, people are seeing them worldwide, and certainly in other areas in Arizona, uh, over the Navajo Range. I work with Navajo Rangers that are law enforcement that take these phenomena seriously, and they have a lot going on up there, including beings. OK, um, that people are seeing and reporting and also these massive uh, rod shaped craft, as in my two pictures in uh, the photo page and sunsets um, a month apart in the same location. Uh, they're seeing these rod shaped craft, not only worldwide, but also here in Arizona. Uh, we get reports all the time of orbs or either disks coming out from these what they call motherships, I guess. Uh, so they're happening continuously. And if you go to the National UFO Reporting Center, you'll see worldwide uh, people are reporting unusual sightings and most, most can be explained. But there's enough now and in real time, which is exciting. Uh, I hope there is another mass sighting because uh, now with people uh, and that's why they couldn't keep it quiet. 
I mean, how could they keep it quiet any longer? Because people are seeing things that are so unusual and capturing them on their cell phones and sharing them in almost real time on the Internet. Um, it, you know, they just couldn't keep a lid on it anymore. So, you know, now I'm glad that it's out of the bag uh, as far as the military and the government admitting that there is something that they cannot explain. Uh, and hopefully one day we will be able to explain who's behind it. I've got a couple more questions before we get on to some listener questions for you. And I wonder, recently we've seen the topic of UFOs, UAPs discussed within the US Congress and the topics being pushed. One thing we didn't hear about in there, even though we heard about Roswell and a few other incidents, we didn't hear about the Phoenix Lights. Do you foresee a time if we get these upcoming hearings we're expecting where the Phoenix Lights event would be brought up as part of those hearings? I hope so. I mean, I, you know, I decided if anybody reads the book, because I don't need to do this. Okay. I have a very comfortable, wonderful family life. Um, but for whatever reason, as a scientist, as a physician, as an experiencer, and as an educator, I need to do this. And, um, you know, the fact is that, you know, uh, I hope that, uh, as I said, even in the book, um, I have surrendered. Um, I have felt that this whole thing is orchestrated by something, someone, and that if that's the case and I can be a credible voice to share the data and people actually look at the data, then I've done my job. And I've just watched. And that's when I talk about coincidence. And you'll read the book. You'll see many coincidences have happened since the mass saying the puzzle pieces keep fitting together. And the story keeps expanding and growing and changing and evolving. And if it's meant to be really out there in a giant way and the Congress finally comes around and gets to some of the most important sightings, including the Phoenix Lights, uh, so be it. When it's time, it'll be time. And I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> so, um, yes, do I hope it'll get out there? I think that, you know, at this point, um, it's evolving as it's supposed to. Uh, it's slow, obviously. It's 25 years later. But the word is getting out there. And the truth is getting out there. And people that really want to look at the facts and the data, they're out there. Okay. So I hope your audience will take a look. There's a much more to this story. Uh, I just told you the tip of the iceberg today, but uh, including um, analysis of my 90, 1995 close sighting by Dr. Bruce McAbee, very respected Navy optical physicist who analyzed the close sighting pictures, the first and the last, because we went back and found that there were additional pictures on those strips, 35 millimeter strips in the negative. Uh, actually, the one right next to the last picture, the only thing in that negative are the two unknowns. What's that about? There's no skyline. There's no nothing. Just the two unknowns. Be that as it may, he uh, got back to me after I sent him the first and the last picture. It's on the website photo page to ask him what those closed orbs were. And he said, you told me that closed sighting in 95 was two, three minutes long. I said, right. He said, can your husband corroborate that? I said, he won't talk about it. He said, you have to sit him down and, and just corroborate the time. So I finally did. I said, we don't have to talk about the, the closed sighting. But do you remember, and it was three years later, because we had a big sighting here 
which you can see the footage in our documentary of straight lines and mirror images and the giant uh, pyramid through a fog, okay? The military wasn't out that night, <laughs> okay, because it was in the fog. Um, that was amazing that we caught on four different uh, videos, north, south, east, and west, and I sent that to him as well. And the two pictures is an afterthought from 95. And I said, just tell me what you remember how long that sighting was in 95. I said, I don't know, two, three, four minutes, tops. I go back to Dr. McAvee. He said, first of all, that's impossible. I said, what do you mean? He said, not only is this, and he was the first to recognize it, the same exact phenomenon. He was very meticulous in his analysis. The same exact phenomena was in the background over the same exact location, disappearing as the closed orbs were disappearing in 95, two years before the mass sighting, in the same location. But he said, look at the skyline. I said, okay. He said, there are many groups of lights, not just individual lights, but groups of lights that are on in the first picture that are off in the last picture. He said, that doesn't happen in a couple of minutes. He said, I want you to do an experiment. He says, go out on your balcony. Now, this is three years later, mind you, but he said one night every hour, the next night every half hour, and I actually did another night every 15 minutes to see when these groups of lights go out. Now, I usually take a bath between seven and eight when we're home. So let's be conservative and say starting point is 8 p.m. The groups of lights started going out at 9 p.m. The last picture is indicative of 10, 30, 11 p.m. Now, he did it again a few years ago for National Geographic TV with better, more advanced uh, software and found that there were even more lights on in the first picture that were off in the last picture. He said to me, can I present this case in the upcoming 1999 MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, International Symposium in Washington, D.C. that was upcoming? I said, Dr. McAbee, this is your baby. I would have never realized this data. Just keep my name out of it, which he, among other, just a handful of people that knew who had these pictures, because I wanted to do my homework for sure before I came forward with them. But I was having them analyzed at university and military level. I said, please, just keep my name out of it. And he was kind enough to do that and presented it in 1999 as the first, and as far as we know, the only, authenticated photographic evidence of missing time. That there weren't minutes between the first and the last picture. That there were hours. And what I shared with you and your audience is what I remember. So that's why I did not share it in the original book. I could not wrap my head around it. It was like two out there for me. Push it aside. By the second edition of the book that came out in 2010, it was like, okay, maybe it's important data. Maybe just sharing that data will open the door for scientists to actually address time, that our concept of linear time is primitive. Past, present, and future is not what time really is. Okay, remember when I went out on the balcony, it felt like time had stopped. Okay. Also, when you look at quantum physics and quantum mechanics postulating that there could be 10 or 11 different dimensions out there along with ours, why is it such a leap 
to think that there could, in other times and spaces along with ours, be intelligent, sentient entities in those other times and spaces that we get glimpses of if we're open to them or invited. So I finally shared it. It hasn't gotten out there big. That's fine. When it's time, it's time. But the data is out there if anybody cares to take a look at it. Folks, at the start of this year, I got a bit of a health scare and it kick-started me to getting fitter, healthier and generally looking after myself better. A healthier breakfast was high on my priority list and it should be for you too. Magic Spoon is the perfect way to get in your morning protein, eating cereal that tastes like it did when you were a kid without all the bad stuff. I can promise you there is nothing unidentified in this cereal. The variety pack has four flavours including cocoa, fruity, frosted and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs. There are only 140 calories per serving. It's keto friendly, gluten free, grain free, soy free and low carb. It's delicious but super healthy cereal that really brings joy to your mornings, afternoons or actually any time of day. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code that UFO at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com forward slash that UFO and use that code that UFO to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. One more question before, and thank you for that, before listener questions. Uh, have the locals' opinion in the area now, 25 years later, has that changed at all on the event? Do people still very much believe they saw something truly anomalous, they saw a hard craft, or has it softened to being just with time passing and like you say, misinformation, disinformation, and the, the, the mind plays tricks that it, it was something more prosaic. More than ever, which is also very poignant, 25 years over, 25 years later. And there's other stuff that we could, you know, talk about, including uh, people that um, uh, suppressed the sighting for months and years as Kurt Russell did. He describes it in his UK um, uh, interview. I mean, there's so much more to the story, but um, that's why we're doing this study because the Phoenix Lights mass sighting, particularly for those who did see it, affected them, every single one, at such a deep level, okay? And yes, there's a few that, you know, like I said, with Independence Day, just didn't want any part of it or uh, suppressed it or whatever. But the vast majority, and I'm talking 90 plus percent, which we're finding in the study, affected at such a deep level that more than ever, they not only are grateful that we're talking about it and it's out in the open, okay, but they know it's not a belief anymore. People ask me, do you believe in UFOs? It's not a belief anymore. It's a knowing. It's a knowing. That is a giant leap. Again, it doesn't happen with planes and helicopters and holograms and players. It's a knowing that people have. Every year, I host a big event 
at the Harkin, Scottsdale Harkin Shea Theater to keep it alive and to also have a forum. And it's sold out every year where we show our documentary, our award-winning documentary. We're very proud. The Phoenix Lights uh, Beyond Top Secret has won over a dozen international film festival awards. And um, it's a real grassroots effort. It's a very gentle overview. The book has much, much more data. But I wanted to give something to the community to not only view that's not going to freak people out, but also to have a forum where they can come and feel comfortable being there and being able to talk about it because we have speakers. In fact, Alice Cooper saw the mass sighting. He's come forward and he's actually been part of our uh, event last year and the, and the last time that we had it before COVID, as well as um, you know other uh, luminaries in the field and uh, witnesses. When you hear from the witnesses themselves, um, if anybody has um, uh, Discovery Plus, there is a show called UFO Witness, the fifth episode, which is very good, very well done, where we have a witness, an RN nurse, who was standing, he was standing right under one of the craft and actually saw it. It's amazing when you hear the witnesses themselves describe. And they it's as if they had seen it yesterday, just like I described the 95 sighting, okay? the Like a tube coming down, and you'll hear it over and over again by people that the, the orbs seemed like there was spinning energy. And he looked into one of the canisters, they call it, and it looked like lava coming down. And he thought it was going to burn him. And before it got to the end, it shot straight up again. And then it started to come down. I mean, it's amazing when you hear the descriptions and how the, the sighting really touched people at a deep level. So that, if nothing, it has not dissipated at all. If nothing, it has grown even more. And I have more people to tell me till today that they feel blessed, blessed that they had the Phoenix Lights experience. And you don't have to have an experience, a UP up experience to have that positive transformation. All you need to do is open your mind and your heart and learn about it. And you will start noticing your eyes are open. As I think yours are, Andrew, you mentioned it at the, at the beginning. You start noticing serendipities. You start noticing coincidences that are like an anonymous gift from beyond. You mentioned um, UFO Witness. I'm actually speaking to Ben Hansen in about two hours' time as we speak and record this, who is the host of that show. So there you go. There's one of your uh, coincidences or serendipities. Um, but listen, let's get to some listener questions because I had quite a lot sent in. Many of them you've answered in your very thorough explanation of the events and, and deep dive. So thank you for that. Um, but I want to get to some of these for you, Dr. Lynn. The first one is from Tim. And he asks, were there ever any radar tracks formally disclosed from either government or non-government agencies during or after the event? Good question. Uh, as the air traffic controllers mentioned, they looked on radar. They got alarmed because anything in that airspace, especially a thousand feet altitude that these were right in class B restricted airspace, must call into the tower. No one did. And it didn't show up on radar either. But a fella who has what's called the Black Vault, John Greenwald. Yep. I've known him since he was a kid. Now he's an adult with a, with a family. He was amazing. He went and got a FOIA, okay, Freedom of Information Act request, and actually got a letter back, okay? I think it was in May. 
that the military had nothing to do with it. <laughs> okay. And they don't know why there was this flare thing that was brought up. It's in writing. Okay. So that was a very good question. I mean, like I said, there's much more to this story. So it, it, it's almost laughable if people uh, talk about the flare thing. And, and by the way, they may have sent off flares. And that's the only explanation they ever came up with. They've never, ever addressed the craft, actual craft with gunmetal bottom. And, and as I said, the, the nurse describes the bottom as having like, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how he describes it in such detail. Um, that's never been addressed. The only thing they needed to address were the lights that were, you know, photographed, um, which, you know, some people will feed right into it because they need to. Okay, they need to have a logical explanation. I get that. Um, but the Phoenix lights, for anybody that saw the true unknowns, were definitely not flares. Let's make that clear, okay? And even though a show, by the way, and I go into it in detail in my book, in August, the following August, um, suddenly we get an announcement. Again, I was staying anonymous. And even when I went to Village Labs to have my things analyzed or talk to the investigators and somebody from the, from, um, the media showed up, they said, who are you? I had a perfect cover because I have my own company, Health Education Learning Programs, Health Incorporated, with my video on workbook curriculums. And I would say that I'm, you know, from Health Education Learning Programs, representing the couple who took the video and pictures, right? That was a perfect mm -hmm. cover. And they moved on, <laughs> which was great. Um, but, uh, you know, while I was there, I mean, uh, you know, to, to hear the witness reports and uh, see how the story was unfolding was just was just fascinating. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we we don't know uh, if they got gun camera film, although I heard that they did. I have not seen it. Um, but the point is that they were very well aware because they try to intercept a craft at 830 that night. So what they were saying was that the boomerang video, um, because I, I went to the director of the show and I said, look, there's a lot more to the story than just March 13th. And the public should know that, that this has been happening for not only, you know, by then I just had learned a little bit, but uh, for centuries. But I have photographic evidence two months before the mass sighting. I didn't even realize that it was that I had it from 95, too. And uh, I said they really should know about this, that it's not just March 13th. And other people were seeing these things before, too. He said, well, the military said it was flares, so that's what it was. And it was like, what? <laughs> You're not even going to look at my pictures, which he did not, okay? And they had me set up to do an anonymous interview because I really wanted people to know there's more to this story than March 13th. And the uh, producer was, was unrelenting. I mean, he wanted March 13th, and I wasn't going there. And my interview ended up on the cutting room floor, thank goodness, because what they did was in the middle of what they called, it was a show called Anatomy of a Sighting, which they ended up showing multiple, multiple times during peak hours on Thanksgiving and Christmas and over and over and over again. They took the boomerang video. My video has been confirmed as a true unknown, the three endpoints of the video triangle, not only by 
um, university and military optical physicist. But by the air traffic controllers, it saw the same thing while I was filming it. Okay. Um, but the boomerang, which was after 10 o'clock, mine was before 10 o'clock anyway. After 10 o'clock, the two boomerangs are the ones that have been under fire for being flares. And they took the Kristen video, which is really impressive, which, by the way, if you go to the news page and scroll down, someone that had advanced uh, stabilizing software took that boomerang video and showed that it didn't budge. Those lights did not budge. They stayed equidistant from each other, and one of them actually elevated and split in two. Flares don't do that, but be that as it may, the boomerangs are the ones that were under fire for being flares. And um, they took that video and tried to show that it went behind the mountain range, South Mountain, so it or the Estrella Mountain Range. So it must be flares because David Monson Air Force Base is two hours south, and they said that they sent off flares. That must be what it was. Well, number one, the air traffic controller said that what I was photographing two months before the mass sighting turned against the wind as a unit, elevated, and then moved in synchrony behind the mountain. So just because it went behind the mountain doesn't mean it's flares. That's number one. Number two. There was a Fox reporter here who saw the craft himself, and he wanted to get to the bottom of it, and he was amazing. He did wonderful reports, honest, truthful reports. And he went to Kristen, who, had the, who shot the boomerang, who told him and showed him. He said, if you look at the footage, again, the data speaks for itself. There is one lone light that's to the right of a tree on the Kristen property, separate from the boomerang, okay? that in their show is on the left side of that tree. So they manipulated that boomerang to show it coordinating with the mountain range. They actually altered the video to make the case for flares. It's right there. I'm not saying anything out of the ordinary or top secret. It's right there. And, you know, you have to think, you know, why did they do that? Plus, they have never addressed the uh, craft itself so i hope that answers the question with the with the radar yeah absolutely um, ryan has a question and he very much goes with the idea this was a craft there was something at least one object you're seeing multiple over over the the town he he knows obviously it started above phoenix for many uh, the sighting and ended past tucson both cities have air force bases do you think there's any correlation that the craft itself was flying between the air force bases for any reason um, you know, there was so much going on that, uh, you know, what can I say? I mean, I, I don't know. There were multiple things happening. These orb formations, uh, these multiple craft in multiple states for over a dozen hours um, that there's no way to, to tell, you know, if, if in fact they were going from base to base. I, I have no idea. And, and neither does anybody else. Question from if there's somebody that knows that out there, I'd like to know. <laughs> and on, on that same kind of vein about more witnesses coming forward, Rich wants to know that why after all these years that the military seemed to have gone out and attempted to drop flares after in some kind of diversionary tactic, why have no more witnesses come forward from, from those to come out and speak about the event now? Why why have what come forward? No no further witnesses come forward no, from, yeah. you know, the dropping of the flares. Thousands of witnesses have come forward now. 
from from the uh, from the military. From the what? From the military, or at the time, who no, was there and witnessing? Yeah. Are. In fact, um, I was just invited to do uh, a History Channel, another History Channel program, and uh, one of the people that are going to be uh, interviewed is a pilot that actually saw for the first time. He just retired. He's going to be coming forward to talk about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a pilot that we have that's involved with the military. That's why he stays anonymous in our own documentary. And he was in Vietnam and also uh, it was a commercial pilot. And now he's involved with the with the military and stayed anonymous. But he saw the craft and, um, you know, and he knows that it definitely wasn't flares and, and will attest to that and is wonderful in our documentary, as well as that UFO witness show. He's terrific in that as well. Question. So there, are, there are military people that are coming forward. It's, you know, they've, we learn now, and I, I've, we learn more, more of the public is learning that pilots and military were threatened with their careers if they came forward with this data. Um, but now that more and more retiring, um, and, and I'm very grateful, just like with the governor, I mean, he was a military pilot, uh, coming forward to admit that there is something going on that we cannot explain and that needs to be studied. And uh, that's that's where we are right now. And I hope more come forward as well. That would be that would be great. Yeah. And there's always um, and you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what their agenda is. Um, you know, we do have military out there that say that they were, you know, flying their planes that night with the Air National Guard. Well, OK, <laughs> but you know, uh, and that they sent off flares. Okay, but where's the proof? Where's the proof? When they started to try to reenact it, they blew it. <laughs> the nail was in the coffin for being flares. Once they did that, that was like, give me a break. Okay, that's, they had their shot. A uh, question from Alfie. He wants to know, is there any data from the event that you think the new UAP task force could obtain and use in, in modern day? Absolutely. I welcome them to take a look at my photo data. Uh, I have gone to extreme lengths to have my 35 millimeter photographs that are in the negative that cannot be explained or denied. Uh, tell me what it is, especially the one, the picture that I took one month after 9-11, and there's a story to that, um, that I have on the cover of my book. I'd like somebody to tell me that is. I don't know if you can see it, but let's see. For the YouTube viewers, yeah, they'll be able to see the, the cover, yeah. What 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 are they? Okay. <laughs> um I mean they in fact on our website we have that which look like discs. They look like three discs. And there's a negative that's next to it where you can see them turning. They're turning. Or you can see the little turn of each one doing it. So they're separate entities, okay? Uh, and we actually, I did a, um, I was invited to show my pictures at an anthropology exhibit at Arizona State University a few years back. And Colonel Wendell Stevens, who had amazing pictures from yesteryear, had this one photograph from Italy uh, from the 1960s of three discs in a row that we actually, you can, you look at it, it looks like it could morph right into my photograph, that photograph. It is what it is. People can make up their own mind. 
I've seen that one on the website too, and I can see why you've put them side by side. Uh, again, folks, make sure you do check those photographs out from the website once you're listened or as you're listening along. Um, final question from Kat. Kat wants to know, did Dr. Kitai personally experience any high strangeness after witnessing the event you recorded? Oh, yeah. <laughs> too many to actually get into here. I will invite the audience to read the book because um, there were a number of things that happened after the mass sighting that convinced me. Because I had to be convinced. I'm a healthy skeptic. I did not have any interest or knowledge in this. When you're a physician, you must be open to anything coming through the door. And I am very empathetic, but I'm also a healthy skeptic. I I have to see it to believe it. And I did see it. And I got photographs of it. Okay. But after the mass sighting, there were a number of paranormal experiences that I had personally that really convinced me that this was real, that if I choose, okay, it was a choice, to move forward and try to help, because I, I showed the pictures to my friends and I said, why do I have this? I don't want this. I don't want to do this. This is not something I would choose to do. Why, what am I supposed to do with this? And, you know, they would look at me and say, Lynn, you've been doing this for 40 years on vital health issues. If anybody can do something credible and professional with this, you can. Um, and having the original 95 close sighting and my near-death experience, by the way, when I was eight years old, which may be connected. I'll just leave it at that, okay? Um, really maybe compelled to do something professional and credible with the data, uh, which brings me here today. So I hope that you know, what I've shared has helped others um, to learn about what really happened here. Because again, the media just picked up on the eight to 10 period time period. There's so much more to this story. And also, some people keep on beating that flare theory and beating it and beating it. And it's like, look at the data. Look at the data. It speaks for itself. The Phoenix lights were definitely not flares. And hopefully one day we will find out who was driving these things. But we know why now. We know that um, they really, one person at a time, have touched people to wake them up, not only to their presence, but also to the positive potential we have as human beings to make this world a better world. And that's why I hope with my own data, the book, the documentary, the graphic novel, and now the study, that it will go that next step and touch one person at a time and wake them up as well. And this, thank you for letting me share. This is important. Too. It's it's been a pleasure, and you've mentioned the book, you've mentioned the documentary. The website is very extensive, lots of information on there, lots of clips that are free, lots of photographs to look through, articles, and then you can go into the store as well and check out what we've discussed. And it's www.thephoenixlights.net for Doctor Kitai's website. Uh, Doctor Lynn, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, and keep looking up. Now you know it's a double entendre. Keep looking up.
That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer. A little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Meditative game of fateful on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. the window after the elf and I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red and I called up my boys they thought this was noise they thought it was a dream they thought it was my toys they thought it was my problems and they think I should see therapy and I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me
Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising, with 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them? Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life.